You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. A public service message from oneofus.net. In these trying times, our country is a nation divided. But there is one thing that still brings all of us together. Craft beer. And there's one brewery to do it. The amazing Oscar Blues. Be a patriot and check out all of their delicious flavors like Dale's Pale Ale, Mama's Little Yellow Pills, and Old Chub. And visit their kick-ass breweries in the great American states of Colorado, North Carolina, and Texas. Drink beer. It's what real Americans do. My name is Rob Summers of Deliberations of Doom, and I approve this freaking message. They come from the bowels of hell, guided by a master plan on complete domination of the earth. Arouses such emotion that the management has been forced to state positively no refund. Deliberations of Doom has returned, and this week, well, it's the same crew you've come to know and love. I'm Chris. Patience. Russ. Rob. And we, what are we talking about this week, anyway? We're talking about horror anthologies, Chris. Oh, that's right. I didn't watch any of them. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I totally forgot. Did anybody watch these movies? Oh, no. And we're out. <laughs> no. And that's another great episode. Of course we watched these movies. We have a... a, a Six anthologies, and normally we do seven or eight movies, but this week we picked six because we figured this might take a little more time because you're talking about each segment kind of in and of itself. I mean, itself. technically we're talking about like 24 different like segments. Yeah, and we'll spend an hour on each one. Uh, strap it in, <laughs> The way boys. we do this show, we probably will. <laughs> uh, but just a thank, uh, thanks uh, to the subscribers out there. You know who you are. And if you're not a subscriber, the reason we can do Deliberations of Doom is because of subscribers, and and, and th- th- that's it. That's the reason one of us.net exists is because of subscribers. Think about because Becoming a subscriber, seriously, it's so inexpensive at two, five, ten, or twenty-five dollars a month. You won't even notice that it's missing from your your bank account. Seriously, I mean, come on, w- would you even notice? And you get lots of bonus content from that. And even if you're like, I don't have time for bonus content, but I love Deliberations of Doom. That's those that subscription thing that you won't even notice is what's going to keep Deliberations of Doom coming out. So please think about becoming a b- subscriber. But you know what? Let's go into the questions from our fans. Oh wait, I didn't ask for any. Oh yeah, we didn't do. Questions this time. Oops. What what would a fan ask? Um, Why is patience so fucking hot? That's what they would ask. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure they would ask that patience. Why don't? Why do you guys make fun of the Summers Brothers so much? (laughs) You know what? I think that question answers itself. I don't think a lot of people do get out there and say like. Defend us like that. I, I don't think anyone would ask. I don't think anyone would ask that. They would ask why the Summers Brothers are so freaking stupid. Dude, we should make badges that are like, like you know, Summers Brothers Unite and things like that. Like, Summers Brothers, I got your back. Things like that for, for fans. But there's only like one person that would wear it. Yeah, but we'll charge $3,000 for it. So that will be worth it. <laughs> well, that's great. We, that's- no, you guys make for good content. You guys are good. You that's guys. right. Every 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 hero needs We love you. We Thanks. love We love Robin. Maybe us. you'll live long enough to become a hero who knows that's true (laughs) well in the meantime that's just more uh, room for us to uh, review the uh, the horror anthologies which I think we're gonna need yeah uh, we went there are a lot of horror anthologies see that was the thing is I realized we will be revisiting this topic oh there were way too many anthologies I actually was getting some some Flack for like what? Do you, what do you guys? You didn't do any of the good ones. We didn't do Creep Show. We didn't do Trilogy of Terror. Like we didn't, you know. I, it's well, there was a reason that we didn't do some of them, and it, it had to do with what the anthology was, and we thought we might use it for something else. Yeah. Like Creep Show might be on another Stephen King episode, right. exactly, or a um, George Romero episode. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. there's there's different there's different reasons we didn't do some of them. I think we just thought 
oh, well, these look interesting or whatever. And uh, I was, I did realize how they're all a little older. Yeah, this is definitely a history of the anthology right. type right. of episode. I was like, a lot, most of them were before the 80s. Or- right, and I was maybe thinking, like, I mean, like, we definitely, a lot of people wanted the VHS movies, and um, we hesitate on those because... I felt like those might go under found footage if we do when we do a found footage yeah. episode. So there's a lot of reasons things didn't get picked, and we went with just these because they're straight ahead anthologies. Um, but so. we had our reasonings. It was tough, actually. It was actually really hard to narrow down exactly because a lot of people wanted like Southbound and. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of ones I would like would would love to do in the future, like Southbound. I know you guys aren't crazy about it. I love that movie. I, I think it's one of the best of like modern Southbound. anthologies. Well, I, but, yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, people were like VHS two or something like that, which which I think is the the one of the series that's the most watchable. Which which always they all have one segment that you're like, oh, that was good. The rest of it's garbage. But that's the one I'm like, most of it was pretty good. Uh, yeah. So my thing is now, you know, I, yeah. But again, I felt like that that might fall under found footage. Well, and I thought we had more than enough to choose from. Without true. It. And true. I think that the ones that we did choose ended up being interesting in their own way. You, you know, and they are older, so this is a deep cut podcast so yeah. we and, have to we go there and they're deeply influential everything that we picked here was like a huge influence on 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 anth- either anthologies that came later or just on the history of the yeah. genre in particular uh, for the for the latter our first one which is Quidan, uh we're doing more or less in uh, chronological order here but uh, rob why don't you read the uh, synopsis of this 1965 japanese anthology film uh here what? What's the problem? What's happening? Uh, Why are we? Yeah, I thought we have a summarization. I didn't realize summarization. Do we decide on how we say Quiden? 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 Are you sure about that? Nope. nope. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So this is a, a a Japanese film from I believe sixty two. No, sixty five. Sixty five. Okay. Uh, and Directed. right. By uh, Kobayashi. Kobayashi. Masaki Kobayashi. Masaki Kobayashi. All right, so um, this is uh, four stories, um, and uh, the first one is a uh, about a samurai who leaves his wife to advance his career and position by marrying a rich, selfish bride. Regretting his decision, he returns home to find things are not as he expected. In story two, a young woodcutter seeks refuge from a snowstorm and is spared by a snow spirit who says he can never tell of their meeting. And he goes on to continue his life and uh, hijinks ensue. Story three, a blind musician f- musician's friends realize that the royal family he is called to sing for may be ghosts. And story four, a samurai is pursued by a spirit he first sees in a cup of tea. Um, so that is all four of the movies, I mean, or just, the stories. And as I said, I don't think this was a big influence on other anthologies, but it was a giant influence on Japanese horror moving forward uh. from here. This is, I believe, as near as I can tell, the first instance of the girl with the long black hair in front of her face that later yeah. on, that definitely, those imagery from the second segment influenced Ringu, Ringu for sure. And, and um, The Grudge, what was the Japanese name of The Grudge? I can't there's, there's, there's like a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so many, it's ridiculous. Um, the girl with the black hair, that's the first segment. It was. That's the second segment. Was it? Um, yeah. For me, it was the first segment. Wait. Oh, did you watch the American version? 
I watched the the Criterion version. Okay, so there's four segments. Yeah, yeah. there's the, the second one. The lady with the like, the, the snow one. woman. That was the second. That was that's the second. That's what I'm saying. Oh, she was, was the one with the, the hair. Because there's yeah. a shot where like she looks up and she's like oh, all in a white dress yeah, and with the black the hair black totally hair. covering her face. Snow woman. And yeah. it was like that was that shot. Oh, yeah. I was talking about the first one with the black hair that attacks you. Yeah. You get he got eaten by hair. Like X day. Who wants to go first? I will take this. I I really. I've been meaning to watch this one for a long time. I've had it on my Amazon wish list for probably five years now. I'm just like, I'll get around to buying this at some point. Because I like Japanese ghost movies. Uh, they tend to be less horror and more just really intriguing offset of Japanese art cinema. And this is no exception. This is definitely... Like Marco from uh, our Highly Suspect Reviews and formerly Digital Noise said, Are you sure your crowd's going to want to hear about Kwai Dan? It's definitely more of sort of an art film than it is a horror film. And I, I don't disagree. Mm-hmm. It's a folklore, like a dark folklore art film. But there's some very creepy-ish type moments here. And some of the most intriguingly beautiful cinematography I've seen in quite some time. I was quite taken with this movie. I thought visually this thing is astonishing. Um, There is just one shot after another. It takes your breath away. And what's intriguing about this is the way it's all shot like you're sitting watching the most expensive theatrical production you've ever seen in your entire life. And it was, in fact, filmed. They they didn't have a soundstage big enough in Japan to shoot this thing. They had to rent an airplane hangar and reconfigure the whole thing. And they went super over budget, which is one of the reasons why the fourth segment is as short as it is, because it's literally truncated. Like, and then shit happened. We don't know. But, you know, the fourth segment is the sort of like wah-wah of the sequence. Although the original story is actually more or less that as well, strangely. Um, but I think the holdouts here, the, the best ones are the two that for some people are not are going to be the most boring ones because they're the longest, which are the second two, which is the the guy who, who encounters a, a sort of snow ghost and then ends up basically marrying her without realizing he's her. It's very long, but it's so pretty. And there's this reoccurring shot of, uh, like they do all this great stuff with backdrops on the horizon, you know, of like a giant eye in the background. That's like just so gorgeous. Just the whole, the, the shot of like their cabin, just totally icebound is just, is just jaw dropping. It's so beautiful. And then the third sequence, which is, Basically taking a famous Japanese woodcut about a, on the, on the water, uh, battle that happened between two samurai clans and making it come to life. Wow. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. Exactly. Watching that happen, I've never seen anything like this. The closest I can come to is maybe some of the sequences in Kurosawa's Dreams, his last film, but even then it's just so different. It's a good comparison though. Yeah. I, I just, I found this whole movie really, really blew me away. Yeah, it's really slow moving. And if you're going into this going, oh, it's going to be a cool, scary horror movie, you're into this for the wrong shit. This is, you want to watch one of the most visually influential Japanese movies, arguably of all time. Here we go. Uh, Masaki Kobayashi, although certainly given a lot of kudos years later, like his studio kind of downplayed this film because they were, they were angry at him by how much he went over budget on it. He ended up doing a movie for them called Harry Carey that is considered to be one of the major gangster masterpieces of Japanese cinema, even though it's much more austere. It's certainly not this level of like. Wait, isn't that the, no, that's the, isn't that the, the one that, um, what's his face remade? Yeah, that, that, uh, B. Takashi remade. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's not it's, a gangster though. It's samurai. Yeah, samurai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's kind of got modern aspects to it of that. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I, I did think the third segment is almost unnecessary here. There's no real reason for it. It kind of, it's really short and it doesn't really pay off. You're talking about the fourth one? The fourth one, sorry, yeah. the fourth one. And the first segment's fine. It's a good intro and it is also kind of short, but it's the second two that, that like, really for me were like why I want to own a Blu-ray copy of this and, and watch all the bonus features and do all that because this is a movie I will des- decidedly return to again and again. Mm-hmm. Which one was your favorite one? The third one, because of the visuals of it. I, I think the second one is more fun to watch. Like, it moves a little faster. It's got a little bit more of a creep factor to it. Um, but the third one does stuff I've never seen anything like in cinema as, since, and or before or since. And uh, it's it's so groundbreaking that I, I don't even know what to say. Like, even if you're like, I don't have time for this whole movie, then at least watch the third segment. It's so good. And these don't have a... A, t- a framing device at all. They're like, you know, outside of the fact they're all based on Japanese folklore stories. There's no real sort of like... So, I didn't mean to interrupt your thought. I just, I had a question. I didn't want to forget it, which was, did you feel that maybe the framing device was going to be the writer from the fourth thing? I did. Because the whole movie is narrated throughout. There's a, there's an omniscient... It was a very unusual device. I was like, oh, there's like an omniscient narrator that just sort of interjects. And then at the end, you realize there's a writer and he's writing the story. And I thought, oh, they're going to make that gonna thing. That's what it's going to writer is writing these are all just stories that he's writing and that would tie in also I think it's based on this ghost story book uh, I mean maybe it's possible that like at some point that was the plan but like I said this thing was suddenly shut off on production like the studio was like no more you take what you have and you do what you can with it although it was J- J- uh, Japan's entry for best uh, foreign film in that year uh, yeah won the special jury prize at the Cannes Film can. Festival it won the it got the nomination for best foreign language film I don't know what it was up against but you know. yeah um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Wow. Uh, I know that's pretty crazy. Whoa. Like, um, I watched the first segment of this and I was like, Oh my God, this is going to be terrible. Like I was just not at all interested in it. And then the second, the, the first segment's black hair where there's like the samurai and he leaves his wife. He just straight up like leaves her for another woman so that he can further his career. And then he comes back to her and then he gets eaten by her dead hair. I don't know. It's really weird. As one does. As one does. Exactly. Um, We've so, all been there. I guess so. I, well, maybe you guys have. I don't know what you guys do in your spare time. But, no um, <laughs> they live above a wig shop. What does that say <laughs> what to does you? That say? <laughs> um, the second segment, and I was like, okay, I've heard, everyone's heard this story. It's about the guy who, you know, meets the snow chick, and then she's like, I'll spare you, but don't tell anybody. And then she ends up getting, like, really super married to her, not knowing it was her, As and then does. yeah, and then, <laughs> you guys. What do you mean? Everyone's heard this story? No, I mean I think this is a I, classic I ghost story. I, I it's a very classic okay. ghost story. Yeah, I've, I've heard it multiple times. Very, right. very, uh, I will say this also. Tales from the Dark Side has a the, the ribbon. Mm-hmm. The, the ribbon thing was what one as well. Remember. It's always the same thing. Like the girl has the ribbon. And yeah, the whatever you do, don't do that. And took out the ribbon. Yeah, and, and then drops it like the Tales from the Dark Side with the demon like thing. It's right on Sean. Yeah. Oh, it is Ray Don Chong. Yeah, I a, forgot about that one. So yeah, it's a very, it's a very, it's a, it's a classic. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I was really intrigued because, like Chris said, the backdrop of this particular segment really was quite breathtaking with all of the eyes yeah. and, and just, it was just really very pretty. And so that one kind of drew me in. And then Ho Chi the Earless, which is the third segment, 
Which is also the longest segment. I feel like that one is well over an hour. Just it alone. By the way, this film is 182 fucking minutes, guys. (sighs) That's... I mean, it was, like, rough. I, I did have to watch it in two parts. That said, we've watched 80-minute movies on here that felt like That felt like 180. That's true. Hoji the Earless, I feel like I was dying in the middle of it because I was like, it's so slow. But then I was like, holy crap, it's so pretty. It's a really beautiful segment that I was just by the time I finished it I was kind of blown away by the direction and the cinematography and even though the story itself I thought wasn't super strong mm-hmm. it was just really quite breathtaking um the way it looks and then the fourth segment is just a throwaway I don't it's weird for me that in the American version of this film they actually cut the second segment out which is that's the best one. It was very bizarre to me that that was the one they cut. Yeah, it's the best one. It's like, why would you leave in a cup of tea, which is really quite, uh, mostly an afterthought. Right. And t- cut out I, I think it's because The Woman you, in the Snow. Well, Woman in the Snow, I think you, you're going to get 45 minutes of the movie, whereas like... Um, right, that's true. The last true. one's only like about, I think it's like about 20 something yeah. minutes. But, I mean, Hochi, the earless is the bulk of the... If you had to pick it's, a major oh, I mean, it's like, almost an, an entire feature-length yes, movie on itself. Yeah. Like, the third one's like almost its own movie, and I was like, yeah. And I mean, because it has just that intro alone. But um, it's, it's over an hour. Yeah, it easily. No, I mean, I thought overall... I, fe- I feel like I'm a better person for having watched this. <laughs> patience. You, you just... You are. Oh. I said that's where patience, patience took it. Was, I, mean, I feel like... Let's make this about... I'm a better human being. You'll never a be a great human. person, but, but you're a Yeah, no, I'm a better person. No, she exactly. came in with kind of a glow, and I was like, she's either pregnant or she watched Quiet Anne. Exactly. It's one or the other. Pregnant, that's <laughs> her I, you know, I thought the same thing when I saw you, Chris. Well, oh. I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, I feel like, you know, if you are a hardcore horror fan like we are, this is something that you should put on your list, watch it at least once. Once I recommend the Criterion version, even though it's... I mean, it's a job. I mean, this is our job, but this was a job. And, um, I mean, I think that this is something that everyone should watch if they're into Japanese films, horror films, or just really pretty films. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Mr. Russell Summers. Yeah. Uh, so Mr. Vince I, Vega. I, I, I was going to say that push for this one to be on there, uh, and I was expecting a little bit of pushback, you know, for... Trying to class up the joint, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a huge fan of you know samurai movies and you know Japanese cinema and, and uh, Kurosawa and all that stuff. Um, and this, I think, follows in the kinds of things I love about those movies. Obviously, the the time period and the the, the lushness of the the direction, the cinematography, and, and it, it's beautiful in that widescreen way. I mean, I, I think I just couldn't get over it, like like you guys, just the way the movie looked. Um, uh, I, I didn't totally love all the stories. Like, like we talked about, I, you kind of knew where all of them yeah. were going. None of them are not predictable. Yeah, uh. but it's also because they're they're sort of the basis of where all the stories that, that these sort of uh, come from. Uh, you know, and I thought there was some creepy images. There was some, you know, kind of scary stuff. Um, uh, I, I will say, honestly, uh, if we're going to talk about some, some of the older sort of uh, classic Japanese cinema, I think 
you know, there's some really scary stuff in, in some of the early Kurosawa stuff. Uh, Rashomon has the part with the medium that I think is really unnerving. Um, some of the stuff in Throne of Blood. And then there's uh, a really famous one called o- Onibaba that, that I think is... Yeah, great uh, stuff. Oh, so good. Kuroniko. Um, the 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 the, Hochi, the the earless is it's clearly the centerpiece of the the entire movie, um, and uh, uh, the the tale of the battle is really amazing, you know, and it almost doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie. I I will say the you know, the only thing that sort of uh, bothered me was you have this incredible opening sequence where. They explain this this famous battle in history, and they do it through almost this theatrical uh, staging. And and then later, Hoichi has to sing the song about it, and he basically tells the whole thing all over again. So I was like, you know, it's already a long segment. Dude, I wish like, I kept thinking like, you know, I forget the instrument he's playing. I forget what that what it's called. It's like a four string to like very. You've heard it if you've heard yeah. classic Japanese music with that giant ass triangular pick, but this dude is the Hendrix of that instrument. Like he's like going off on this thing. And I was like, this is kind of atonal and weird for this style of music. Like, like I've heard a lot of that. And I was like, this doesn't sound like what that normally sounds like. And it adds to the creepiness of it. And they definitely point out, they're like, he's the best in the land at this particular song and this particular instrument. So much that the ghosts. Yeah, the ghosts. You gotta get this guy to play it. But I I agree with you. Like, they play that song like four fucking times. You're like, do we really have to sing? We have to listen to this. I I bought the soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) This is a completist. (laughs) One of the things I wanted to say about it was um, it also, I think, one of the things that separated it a little bit from the other ones was it had that comic relief. His his little like friends were really funny guys there, and it also had I would like to point out uh, T- Takashi Shimura who plays the priest who's in a lot of uh, the classic Kurosawa stuff. He's in Seven Samurai. He he might be the only person, if you're a casual watcher of Japanese cinema, that you'll be like, I recognize that guy. I think he's the guy in Kuru. Yeah, um, he's in Akira. Yeah, he's in Akira, okay, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is fucking fantastic yeah. for the record. <laughs> yeah, just just on a side note for cinema, if you've never seen that, see, see that movie it, if you're not it, It's of the Kurosawa's, it's the one that's not about samurai that you totally have to fucking yeah. say. <laughs> uh, the ear thing was genuinely upsetting. Um, I, I was very disturbed by that, and I, uh, I just want to say... Because um, he oh, is called Hochi the Earless, yeah, so you like, kind of see that one coming. What the hell? Like, how do you miss the ears? Like, seriously. I mean, that was a serious ghost oversight. Yeah, they, they tattoo him over where, everywhere so the ghosts can't see him to, as a plan to everywhere. get away. But and they the forgot to do the ears. Which are not small. You know what I love is then... The, the, the priest guy tells the other dude, he goes, oh, I really should double-check that. Yeah, yeah. I know. He was, I was really not- mistaken. I'm thinking, like, he's like, my bad, you know, he like, I got busy. And I'm like, guy, you didn't double-check his work? You had one job. Yeah. So, actually, the other guy had the job, yeah. right? Like, his job was to paint him. And I thought, you just, like, you, what were you doing? It's not like he had to go catch up on Breaking Bad. Like, he didn't have... It's like... It's like... What, what century is it? There's nothing else you going on. You'd be excited. Like, yeah, you'd be oh, like, oh, good. Something to do, you know? It's so boring around here. He was here. really nonchalant about and it. And it's, it's just, yeah, just like, oh. like, oh, yeah, I own that, man. That's that's my mistake. Totally, totally. You know, next time. The, next the time. ghost ripped off his ears. That... 
Fuck that shit up, Roy. But now he's got a cool name. Yeah. But, I mean, he was already blind to, to, to begin yeah, with. That's, that's all why I was thought. That's, that's why. why. I, I thought was that was like, the thing that he, was, he He apparently, even without his ears, can still hear. He can yeah. Still hear. He just doesn't have the lobes, the, the whole outside part sticking out. I mean, out a ghost there. ripped his ears up. Yeah, they didn't reach in and go, like, I'm also going to puncture his ears. I didn't know if it was. I didn't know if it was. Still kind of fucked up. I didn't know if that's what they're going for, was now he's plunged into complete darkness. You know, he can't see. seem like it. Darkness! Imprisoning me! All right. In the end, he plays. <laughs> he does play. He plays so he can obviously still hear. Uh, this I, is I basically was, a Japanese Johnny Get Your Gun. So, so I was going to say, um, I liked Cup of Tea. Really? In fact, okay. I liked it a lot because unlike the other three, although it was it was short, it was short, <laughs> but it was also a story I hadn't quite seen before. Mm. Um, and I thought the locations and the costumes were um, amazing. And actually, the part with him seeing the stuff in the tea was really cool. Although it was funny because it kept going on, and like the first thing we see, it's kind of eerie and it's almost sort of a ghost image. And then it almost became sort of comical. Right. Like he kept seeing it or whatever. It's, it's so kind of absurd, the idea. Like you're like, oh, the ghost appears in your tea. Important rule don't drink the tea if you see the ghost reflection in it. And I'm like, the Japanese have lots of weird ghost rules, for the record. Like when I was in Tokyo, there was like a grave right in the middle of their Wall Street. Like literally this segment where it's like, it's this grave and it's all like, and people are walking into it and then they turn around and kind of walk backwards towards the grave and drop like things on the grave and never look at it. And I was asking my friend, what the fuck is going on is like it's the head of a samurai and if you look directly at it he will come for you and I was like I'm looking at the grave don't you <laughs> that's how Chris dies <laughs> I thought you said looking in the trap was bad <laughs> guys do not forget to tattoo Chris's ears <laughs> do not forget yeah good um, rule good rule that's it I, I probably found as much as I like this movie I probably found it a little bit uh, less essential than you guys did despite its pedigree but I, I am really glad we watched it. I mean, I, I think it is a, it's, you know, as far as like a cinephile, it, it was sort of great to see, especially considering a lot of the, the movies that we watch on here. It was very unusual. And you guys covered almost all of my thoughts. I mean, I, I think that, um, I, I think the visuals and the atmosphere to this movie are its highest recommendation. I just think that, um, if you're, I don't. If you're a fan of like Kurosawa and, and you you have some experience with Japanese cinema and you and you like it, I think that you may get something out of this movie. I don't know that it's something I would just show someone who has no previous experience with kind of older art films from another. Yeah, it feels like something you'd more point towards someone who already knows they love Japanese right. classic cinema than a horror fan. But in yeah. its own way, I think like this. If this were an American film in some way, or, or it was it had American dubbing or something, I almost like this is a movie that they would have shown us like when I was like a kid. You know, feels like a movie you would have watched or whatever. But I, I think this is the kind of film I, I remember. This um, someone said this thing about watching more difficult or, or maybe not as faster paced uh, uh, films is that they're good Sunday morning films. You know, like you kind of wake up and you kind of. And you have Drink your breakfast. coffee. Yeah, and you kind of like put on your tea. Yeah, or your tea, which has a ghost face in it. And you, you kind of watch. Um, you kind of watch something. Scream that, five. Yeah, that might be more um, challenging. And I think this would be one of those movies. I think that you know you, you're kind of rested. You're kind of open. Um, this movie's good for that. Um, I, 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 I'm with patience in that the stories are very familiar. You, you sort of see where they're going very quickly. Um, that being said, uh, I found the first one very affecting. Uh, the, they had a, a really interesting and unusually edited sequence where he's he's performing archery and he remembers 
his um, the woman he'd left. And it's it's sort of like, you know, they're on the horses, and then they just, he cuts, and he keeps sort of flashing to her. It's very modern, and it was very affecting to me. I found that to be really great. And they're, just as their reunion was. I yeah, I think when they, when they get together, and she sort of forgives him, and he can't believe she, she's going to forgive him, I found it to be kind of emotional for and, me. And in fact, where it went, it, it, it was really kind of upsetting. Yeah. Because you, you were so happy for them. So. Right, yeah, that these people, and then, the, you know, he, but that he had doomed himself in some way. Um... And then I think the second one, the visuals, the snow, the um, and the and the uh, the first time he sees the Snow Witch is generally weird, and it's great because it's all on like a set. There's like a there's like a, 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 a an artificiality to a lot of the movie. I mean, the whole movie set, which they lean into, yeah, yeah like they, totally. They don't try and hide it in any way. They, right, it's, it's they, part of the attraction of it, right? right. And um, and then of course, uh, you know, and I, and I thought that one again was also this sad love story that you know he finds this woman and. And, you know, someone had asked him to do the one thing, and he dooms himself by telling a story. And when he sees... They had a great moment where he sees her, and they change the lighting. And, um, and the you know, he didn't it Didn't it feel like like old-school stage tricks? Like right. with, with Lone Chaney Sr. doing Jack, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, where he already had the makeup on, but they just changed the light so now you can see the makeup? It right. felt like that kind of trick. Right. It like, wow. it, it's, it's neat, because it's, it's in camera, and they you know he sees the Snow Witch. And then... And I just think that, you know, both those, the doomed romanticism of them was very affecting to me. Um, it stayed with me, and I, you know, I thought about it a lot. It definitely evoked the mood. I think the stories, you know, they're a little creaky or whatever, but but they, they had sort of more of an O. Henry-ish um, campfire ghost story, like, oh, and then, you know, there on the handle was a hook kind of thing. But but I was kind of okay with that, and I think um, the, uh, the third one... Uh, the, as Chris said, the beginning is dazzling. It's this theatrical, I think it's like almost kabuki theater, mm-hmm. telling you the story. And I mean, it's unexpected. And it's long. It's like involving. And it's really, it really something. Um, the, and then when they, when they do reveal Hochi with the ghost, it was really beautifully staged and shot. The camera movement is pretty dazzling. But, um, I thought I was a little slow, uh, uh, and like Russ said, it's a little repetitive. How she sings the song of the story that we already spent an enormous amount of time watching, and then um, you know the ending is—it just didn't have sort of a punch to it or whatever. Like the other ones, at least, kind of had this feeling of you know the monkey's paw kind of thing. Uh, and then the fourth one—that's interesting you point out—it's kind of quick, and and I like the actors, kind of like what was going on, and then it kind of yeah, I was like, what just happened? But I, I think it was meant to be the story that tied everything together that this guy had written these. Uh, stories for those publisher or whatever, um, which is too bad. But uh, overall, I mean, I think it it's a it's a it's a more challenging movie than we probably watch on most of these. Although I enjoyed it way more than some of the crappier movies that we watch. Yeah. And stuff. I, I think it's a movie for art cinema fans more than it is for horror fans. But um, I think that's kind of makes it interesting is that it is somewhat at that intersection. And I can imagine actually seeing this in the time that it came out would have been you would have been sort of thrown by the stories. They would have been scarier. They would have been more, oh, I didn't see that coming. Whereas now, you know, we're, we're very, as Chris said, we're very familiar with things that this movie has done. So At, at least narrative-wise. Yeah. And, so. I, and, I, and I was going to make that point, too, and uh, with Robin Russ, exactly what they're saying. Like, in 1965, this probably wasn't as predictable right. as it is for us today. Right. You know? so, right. I think it was probably it was, really something Oh, yeah, to it was probably... And, uh, you know, I'm, I think an experience, I mean, even when it was slow a little bit, the visuals... Would drag the me filmmaking in. is worth seeing. Yeah. Right, like it's really, it's re- it's a really unique 
and and pretty dazzlingly executed vision. So yeah, cool. I think we all agree that was pretty damn good. It's a, if you have the patience for it, it's not so for everybody. I have a patience right here. Aww. Let's watch Quiet. That joke never gets old. And patience's name is also. I, if I was her, I would have trained myself never to use that word. I don't know. It I just would double like, down no. on it, but exactly. Oh, you just use it constantly, yeah. <laughs> just to confuse your friends. Let's all be patient least. here. All right, all right. Let's go on to our next movie, which is 1971's British uh, Amicus Productions anthology film of the House That Dripped Blood. Amicus is it not Hammer. No, Amicus, for the record, was the major competitor for Hammer. They were the other guys that shared all the same well, actors a lot of the I time. I feel like a, a bad cinema nerd. I did not know that. Yeah, Amicus put out a lot of stuff that you probably thought was Hammer films. Okay. Yeah. Well, no. Anyway, uh, so Patience, you've got uh, the anth- the summarization. The summarization. Um, so House That Drip Blood um, involves a detective who reviews the history of a house his case has led him to, and there's four segments. The first one, a horror novelist keeps seeing his latest character, a serial killer, in real life. The second one, a man finds himself drawn to a strange wax museum. In three, the new nanny tries to figure out the reason her employer is frightened of his daughter. And lastly, we have an actor in a vampire movie finds the lines between fiction and reality blurring. So let me just say that all of these were based on stories by the legendary horror author Robert Block, who is probably best known for writing the book that Psycho is based on. But he also wrote the screenplay for this. I did not even catch any of that. I thought it right out the credits. Yeah. Well, what? you really are a bad cinema nerd, though. Um, to start us off, I fucking loved this movie. Yeah, you, I, you actually texted me to go, I love this movie I so much. I really liked it a lot. Right. Um, yeah. There is a, I mean, first of all, the act, like the actors yes. in this movie yes. are absolutely <laughs> legendary. We have, um, Denholm Elliott from mostly, I think we would know him from an Indiana Jones movies. We have motherfucking Peter Cushing. We have the man, Christopher Lee. We have, uh, was it John Pertwee? Yeah, Dr. Who, the, the third doctor. doctor. I mean, uh, let's Joss, not, Ackland. Joss Ackland. Joss Ackland. Diplomatic community. I mean, <laughs> from Lethal Weapon 2. Come on. <laughs> like, every single person in this movie, you're just like, oh, it's that one guy from that one thing. I mean, it's amazing. And, and Ingrid Pitt, who was in that fourth sequence oh, with yeah. John Pertwee, who yeah. is arguably the greatest scream queen in the 70s horror, ha- amicus horror, uh, amicus and hammer horror history. She was in, like, fucking everything. She was this, she was so gorgeous. This movie is absolutely legendary um, as far as acting is concerned. The... Again, I mean, yes, I will say that for us in this day and age, a lot of the tales are very familiar to us. We've seen them remade over and over again in, like, Tales from the Crypt or Tales from the Dark Side or Twilight Zone, the series. Um, So I would say that nothing was really, like, overly surprising. However, um, I do want to say that Although the title of the movie is The House That Drip Blood, there is literally not one drop of blood in this whole entire movie. It's pretty clean. Disney could have put this thing yeah, out almost. Yeah, it's seriously... Yeah. And the house itself never drips Never drips blood. There's, blood. No, there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no blood. The house there's is like, no... it's just not that time of the month. I don't want to tell you. Should have later. <laughs> there's no horror. Uh, I, I mean, I don't. I actually would struggle even calling this a horror movie. I, would, I mean, it's definitely more of a... Th- I don't know if I'd say that. I mean, you can have like a a 
goreless horror movie, and it's still no, horror. No, you know, I'm not saying that at all. Um, just because it doesn't have any blood, I'm just saying it's very, very tame. Like you said, a Disney could have put this movie yeah, out easily. It's, uh, the, uh, it's something with Betty Davis. Yeah, right. That period of time, they were putting out a bunch of shit with Betty Davis that uh. was kind of hard. <laughs> The Watcher in the Woods, Something Wicked This Way Comes, what have you. I, I mean, I did like all of the segments here. I I would say that if I was going to choose one, I would probably choose the Christopher Lee segment where his daughter is like a witch. And I thought that was pretty gruesome, um, the way that she sort of like deals with her, her father. I thought that was, I guess that was pretty horrific. Um, the cloak reminded me of a sh- short story by Robert R. Buchanan where he has like a makeup box and it's kind of the same thing hmm. where the makeup box is from like a, like a whole old hammer, you know, movie set and probably influenced he, by this. Yeah, I story. assume so. I, I would um, only assume Robert R. McCammon, who's almost exclusively a horror writer has read everything Robert I Block has so. ever done. I hope so. <laughs> um, so yeah, I would say that was probably my favorite one. Sweets to the sweet, the third one. Um, otherwise, yeah, I totally liked this movie, even though it's like super, super like just mellow. It's yeah. a mellow, tame movie, and I liked it a lot. I think that what really blew me away was the level of like all of these great legendary horror actors or not and sci fi actors. Yeah. Russ, what'd you think? Um, so obviously the actors, so I'm even going to that. Uh, it was it was nicely done. I, I never quite know with some of these early, uh, you know, sort of sixties and seventies Hammer esque movies. They can kind of go either way. Um, one thing I would like to say in the Peter Cushing one that I always love is, you know, how smartly dressed all these cats are. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're so like, fucking you know, beautiful. Just to go to a wax museum. Like, main main points to John Pertwee, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, he thought. looks great. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm ready oh, for the next Josh scarf, Ackland's, uh, yeah, his uh, flowy <laughs> scarf thing he showed up. He, he looked like somebody's divorced dad trying to be cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. This movie is lousy with ascots. <laughs> Can we talk about that cigarette holder, though, in the last segment? I mean, it was like 20 feet long. How, I mean, it took like three servants to hold up the cigarette holder. Um, I, I also wanted to say... Um, uh, that wax museum looked like a total ripoff. Really, yeah, who was it, taking tickets though? It was a, it was they terrible, just wander in. Wax museum, and I just want to say it was so bad that there better be an evil head somewhere in that wax museum. I'm gonna feel uh, totally ripped off. Um, the main thing I just want to say is that I freaking loved uh, the final story. Um, Me too. I thought uh, I. I I kind of wish it had been the whole movie. It's like, so campy and tongue-in-cheek and fun and over-the-top and colorful. And it's kind of nothing like the other no. three stories, which are just sort of be, uh, we're, we're definitely you know going to scare you with these. It was like the minute Pertwee showed up. And I am not uh, a Doctor Who guy or whatever, so I was unfamiliar with him. So when he showed up, just walked in, he just he radiates charisma and star power, he's such a good actor, he knew how to play the line, he knew when to be sort of campy, or funny, or serious, he sold every moment he was in, I, I was just, I was in love with that guy, I just thought he was so great, um, and, and like, like I said, it was sort of it was sort of a welcome break from the other movies, because of the humor, um, and, and the knowing, sort of self-referential uh, nature of it, uh, and, and I, I just, uh, another thing I wanted to point out at the end, 
because it ties into the larger uh, framing story because that is actually the case that brings the cop in. Um, the cop didn't know that there was a vampire there, even though there was a giant candelabra. I felt like that. <laughs> you feel it by definition. Yeah, it should have been. It's, I, it's I, either I a, a vampire or, what's his name, the, the piano guy. Viracha. <laughs> Viracha, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyways, but, but overall, I, I did think, you know, if you're looking for this kind of movie, um, I, while it's probably not the greatest of the genre... Um, I, I definitely thought it, it delivered on all the goods. Uh, my favorite line from the last uh, the last segment, the cloak, was, "I do not patronize the kinema." <laughs> <laughs> um, what is that? Is it your? Yeah, I'm good. I was so I was a skeptical because I've definitely gotten burned by some of these, like Russ said, like these British um, things. Like you, you think it's going to be kind of fun, and it kind of isn't. They kind of drag or. There's definitely ones that, like, my friends had kind of pumped up, so they were big fans of, like, Hammer, and, oh, that one's great, and you, like, see it, and you're just like, it was okay, it's kind of draggy, and this one I thought was um, pretty fun, and, like Patience said, really elevated by the actors. Um, I don't know that it's maybe the most visually exciting movie that we watched this time, but uh, it was, well, it was, well, that was competent, but it's, you know, and it was well done, and that's, you know, in that way that it's kind of fun to watch old movies, but... um, the actors and the writing, I did not know Block had anything to do with it, was pretty spot on. And I think the movie, um, it doesn't really drag in a lot of places. I guess some of the stories are better than others, but the movie is moves at a clip and, and it doesn't it doesn't drag or whatever. Um, I, uh, uh, as far as the stories went, um, I really liked the detective guy that's sort of doing it. And I wanted there, I wanted there to be more. I was hoping he would get his own story, which he, he really doesn't. Um, uh, I, I, there was a weird thing with the real estate guy, and I just thought, like, you, you know, you're pretty good at your job. Yeah, whose last name is Stoker, but yeah, his first name is not is AJ. It's a shout out. Whatever. Yeah, bit of but um, it's seventy one. But he's yeah, he's good. And then um, uh, I liked um, the the uh, uh, Peter Cushing story. Where he's this the single guy who moves in, he's sort of an older guy, and he, he's obviously he's sort of brokenhearted. And I, I really liked him and um, Josh Ackland's uh, relationship. That they're these sort of older guys, and they're friends, and they sort of dinner. And then there's this interesting thing that I guess they're both in love with the girl, yeah. who now is like resembles this waxing weird coincidence that. The, the 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 crazy dude who owns the wax museum also knew that chick, but. Um, I was thinking it might not be the same chick or something like that, but there's that weird thing. But there's that great moment where um, he says he's Auckland says he's going to leave and he goes back to the wax museum, and and Cushing knows he's going to go back. I just thought that was a little smarter than some stuff you see in these kind of junky. I did find it was very like it had to be on purpose. There is a total like hammer horror Dracula oh, like like yeah. Waxworth that keep focusing on because it's like well we're doing one with Peter Cushing so yeah. we got it we got to throw in like a hammer Dracula yeah. reference in here. Um, and I liked, uh, uh, I liked, uh, you said, like, I love the one with Christopher Lee and the, and the, and the, and the daughter. Um, I liked the, all the acting in that. It was, uh, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good one, actually. And I think about it, I like that one as, as much. Russ was right. Russ had told me, like, man, when you get to, to the last one with, um, uh, with Pertwee, and it, it was, it was neat, cause it, it, you know, it had the movie within a movie thing going on, and it, it's very self-referential, where they're talking about making movies and making scary movies and what goes into a scary movie. And uh, it was weird to me that it was so it was such a broad thing that it was like vampires, you know. I was like, oh wow, they're really going for it. Which again, self-referential for that 
those kind of British movies making, you know, they made a lot of, you know, their most famous thing is these vampire movies. So overall, like, I, I thought this was a pretty kind of fun movie. I don't know if it's for everybody, but if you like older movies, this one is pretty good. Like, it's kind of a fun, neat diversion. Um, yeah, this is definitely one of the better ones we watched, too, overall. Uh, I had seen this before, and I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, I think I was just tired. I was like, I've seen a lot of films like this, and I was like, outside of the fourth segment, I was like, it was all right. Rewatching it, I came back to it with a lot more enthusiasm. Um, I think one of the big things here is really just that this is just so packed with great costumes and sets and actor like really great actors who are giving it their all i mean the stories are right out of ec comics sure except for the fourth one which in and of itself is as you said kind of meta the fourth one is the one where they're like let's do a horror comedy and it totally is even the framing device that it leads into the end of the framing device is played for laughs i mean it's absurd and the whole thing is kind of absurd but in the best possible way, it keeps it moving quickly. It gets from one to the other really quickly. Yeah, it's bloodless. Um, but who gives a shit? You're not watching these the, yeah. the, uh, these these type films for for super gory. That didn't happen until a little later with Hammer, where they suddenly started going. You know, we should gore these suckers up. Um, yeah, well, later, like midway through the Dracula films, they're suddenly like, we need more gore and lesbians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, lots and lots of lesbians. Uh, th- I, I, I can't tell you how much fun I had rewatching this. Once I, I, I Everybody in this is so good. Uh, John Pertwee, especially. It's funny because like the rest of these people are people we really associate with horror. Pertwee is not, but he is the one who is basically playing Roddy McDowell from Fright Night yeah, in this right. thing, yeah. and he is a riot to watch. He's just so, like, you know, I am the horror actor! Yeah. And, like, the idea, like, there's a vampire cape that belonged to a real vampire that can make you, will turn you into a vampire, and then, I mean, come on. It's, you can't tell me it's not hot when Ingrid Pitt turns out to actually be a vampire, a twist, and she's too. flying up with her, like, barely kept in bodice and the vampire teeth, and you're like, now that's the most Ingrid Pitt shot of film I've ever seen. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I actually, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought about the whole thing where he's, like, on set, and he's, like, a terror to that poor director, and I'm yeah. like, oh, God. He's like Bella Lugosi. Yeah. Not this other guy. I, it, this is fun. It's well worth your time. There's a uh, there's a lot of uh, other horror anthologies from this period of time, actually, from from companies in England. Uh, the most this is not even as famous as another, or as well regarded as another Amicus one called Asylum. But I think this one is actually slightly better. Asylum maybe takes it a little too seriously, uh, but it's still really good, well worth watching as well. But yeah, uh, House of Drip Blood. Despite the lack of dripping blood, it, it's still a house. So everybody's favorite was the last one. Well, I kind of liked the, um, the sweets one. to the sweet, the, the little with the little girl and Christopher Lee. But I think the cloak was probably the most entertaining. Yeah, Chris, was it the fourth one's your fourth one is definitely my favorite. Yeah, with it's it's just so goofy. There's no way not to laugh and have fun. It's kind of meta. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's just I mean, yeah, it probably sells it. To, oh. It also kind of reminded me a little bit. That one in Waxworks kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Needful Things, a smidge. Well, we've had two in a row that we all agreed were pretty damn good. So let's move on to the one that I'm pretty sure we're not all going to agree <sighs> on of being pretty all good, which goes on to 1983, a big jump forward and into a, the, across the pond to America with the film Nightmares, directed by Joseph Sargent. 
Uh, what did he, he did White Lightning. He did the Taking of Pelham one two. He did the three. Taking of Pelham one, which I told you. Yeah, and you were like, we were like, I was like, Joseph Sargent directed. He directed the Taking. Yeah, yeah. We were kind of freaking out about that. It's four short films that it says are based on urban legends, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure the Emilio Estevez one was not based on an urban legend. <laughs> I'm pretty sure no one is like. Did you hear yeah, about, about the kid, kid who got sucked into a video yeah, game? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not an urban but, legend. Um, a friend of a friend got sucked into a video game. <laughs> yeah, it happened, dude. It really happened. Yeah. But anyway, who's got the synopsis for this one? Uh, I do. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, nightmares. There's no framing device, so I'll just tell you what the stories are. Uh, in the first story, uh, a woman ventures into a nut, into the night while a murderer is loose. Uh, the second story... Emilio freaking Estevez advances to the... Emilio Estevez. (laughs) Who do you think that was? Uh, I know, man. You were the one saying the Breakfast Clubber's name. Mr. Mighty Ducks himself. Advances to the supernatural (laughs) final level of his favorite video game. I immediately went to Maximum Overdrive. Uh, The third one, uh, Lance freaking Hendrickson uh, is a priest pursued by a demonic pickup truck. Let's let that sink in. Um... And four, a family discovers that their home has been invaded by a giant rat. Okay, so that is the spot synopsis. Did Michael Jackson do the theme song I for was, that long? I, sure. Well, it's so funny because Emilio Estevez is in The Bishop of Battle, and Lance Henriksen is in uh, the, the one with the demonic truck, and I feel like, again, maximum overdrive here. They um, should have... But I don't think Emilio Estevez could ever play a priest. Uh, probably not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll start this one. Um, I think this is a really run-of-the-mill uh, <laughs> 80s horror film. It's just so 80s. uninspired. <laughs> In fact, like I, I posted a tweet and Rob somewhat sarcastically responded with, like, I can't believe you actually said something insightful and, and meaningful <laughs> on here. Are you high? Um, I, I was like, no, it's true. No, I feel like that was Russ. Russ was it Russ? Okay. Like the part of uh, Roger Ebert will be playing by this Well, Cox made a good point. It was, uh, if you want to make it again, it was about the, the framing device. Yeah, it's like, I, you know, there's... The framing devices often made fun of for anthology films because they tend, they're almost always the crappiest part. The Nightmares is the argument for why, even if it's crappy, it's kind of good to have a framing device for your anthology. Because otherwise, it's just four shitty, look-like-they're-made-for-television things that have nothing in common other than that they're all kind of shitty. Um, I will say The Bishop of Battle has... A, the camp level is high enough that it's fun! I mean, it's bad. It's bad watching it. Watching it. But Emilio Estevez once again playing a young punk rocker in California. Whatever, Dad. I don't have to do what you say. He's like, like a total Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what that was. Every role he played at one point was like. I think he had like four or five movies in a row that were just this part. Except he didn't end by getting sucked into a video game. It's just so campy and Tron and everything else. And you're just like. All right, so there's no way not to have fun with that, but it's not good. But Terran Topanga is, like, one of the oldest urban legends in the entire world. Like, everyone has heard it around a campfire, and it's uh, an almost incompetently made version of it. It's so not scary on any level. I was just like, wow. That was just like, 
the, it felt like the director was going to come out the end and go, thank God that's over with. <laughs> just was exhausted with even making it. The Benediction is just boring. I mean, why would you watch this instead of the, the Spielberg, uh, uh, the duel, which is so much better, except they're not like, oh, and by the way, the thing chasing them is supernatural and can jump out of the ground for reasons that are completely unclear. I, I, I was just, I almost insulted by it. It's funny. People generally speak of Night of the Rat as being the worst, but it was almost a relief after the long, dull, the benediction. Uh, it's bad, but. I got a few laughs from it, from the bad creature work and stuff. I was like, I just found this thing, except for the Emilio Estevez one, so absolutely exhausting. Like, I just need to get through this. And part of the problem was I watched this after I watched, like, three in a row I really liked. And I was like, please let this end. In in a way, Chris, it was your nightmare. It really was. (laughs) Nightmares. Because there were four of them. And there would have been five, but there was no fucking framing device. I, I just you, well, okay. you were the framing right. device. I, I mean, I there's so many good people in this: Veronica Cartwright, Lance Hendrickson. Um, like I said, Emilio Estevez, Moon Unit Zappa. Holy shit, that was Moon Unit Zappa. <laughs> like, William Sanderson. She, she, she was, was in the, the Bishop chick of Battle. That was like all up in Emilio Estevez's shit in the Bishop of Battle. Yeah, the one that was like hot for him. Whoa, that was Moon I Unit Zappa. Uh huh. Okay. Um, first of all, I think that you're overplaying the importance of a framing device because I will take, I'll give you two words, body bags. That has a framing device. That's a shitty fucking movie. Sorry, John Carpenter. No, um, as I said, a framing device is more often than not terrible, but it's better than a bunch of I, shitty segments I with no to, framing I device. I don't know if that's When important. you said it. I did start to realize, like, I, I want a Quiet framing device. Quiet didn't have a framing device. It didn't, but I could see that at the end you it was can, meant you to. You cannot have a framing That's device true. if you're quiet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's the that new rule. We made a rule. Yeah, exactly. Um, I thought, okay, for me, Terror and Topanga, yes, we've all, like, heard this story a million times. It's fine. What really bothered me was two things. Three things. A, she's smoking in her car. Three things. B, she's not wearing a fucking seatbelt. And C, she didn't lock her goddamn doors. It was the 80s. No one one was wearing seatbelts. Come on, but we we still locked our car doors, right? You didn't didn't put on your seatbelt to go buy cigarettes. Yeah. That's how you did it. So you could smoke them in your car. That's how you did it in the 80s. Well, they were serial killers. I think it was for me, the the music just really took me out of this segment. It was so bad. I don't know. It was just like, and and I'm not even like 80s bad, bad. But it's the guy who did The Last Starfighter and Remo Williams. And Major Pain. Oh, Major Pain. That's a cinematic <laughs> masterpiece. Um, I don't know. Well, according to Shotlos, maybe. Yeah. Um, the Bishop of Battle, Emilio Estevez being a jerk, playing video games. It was all right. It was fine. I think that that was supposed to be like the big, like, um, CGI sort of, like, that was supposed to be like the big one that was like, oh my God, they spent so much money, money on this movie because it was like all of this really elaborate CGI for 83, maybe. I don't know. Um, it's weird to think that, like, that that sequence probably more influenced Repo Man maybe? than the other way. Because this is 83, Repo Man's 84, and there's no question he's playing almost exactly the, the same, same character. character. Yeah. But Repo Man's a fucking masterpiece, and this is, well, what it is. Um, <laughs> can we just point out, like, how fucking huge his Walkman was? Like, it was... The, it was back then. I mean, they, it was gigantic. Like, how did he even carry that on his hip? 
It was the size of my laptop. You're you're about we're all about the same age. You don't remember Walkman when I they were that not, big? Mine were not mine was not that big. Mine was uh, big. I had, to, was just, I had to get a get a wagon to carry it around in. Um what kind of bothered me about it was that the the Mexican gangbangers were just so bad. I mean they were it was like straight up practically racist. Um, how they were you just like so stereotyped, <laughs> yeah. and I was a, a little offended. Yeah. Um, There's so much to say about that. You could write an essay about it. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. <laughs> but I mean, it was like first doctors. Yeah. yeah, but you liked it. You I did. I it. did like it. I mean, I get it. You have to. You have to give the '80s a little leeway sometimes when it comes to these kind of things, or just anything before the 1990s. And I, but still, it was like really bad and I was just a little a little offended. Um the benediction, I'm like, why would you underutilize Lance Hendrickson like that? He is like one of my favorite people in the whole was entire this one of his world. First major roles? I don't I don't think I mean so. he's he was definitely young in it, but I think he had to have maybe three. I feel like I definitely what saw him done, though, stuff that was before this. I mean I know he's like uh, yeah. he's in Dog Day Afternoon and stuff, but it's like a small it's not like a big So maybe part. this was he's like yeah. a cop or something. But he's just uh it was so boring. I was like so sad that this was like this was the Lance Hendrickson segment. Well they all they had was the big moment with the car coming out of the ground. That, that's and it. That's really the, the only thing. The big explosion was the worst. I mean, come on. Like, we've had Star Wars. We've had aliens by this time. You can't do a little bit better than that. Like, maybe you should have saved some of the money from the video game segment. Um, Night of the Rat. Okay. I just, I'm going to vent a little bit right now. Please. This is going to be a Patience TM trademarked Patience rant. <laughs> I thought only Russ got those. I know, I get one Patience. too. I'm going to have one right now. All right. Do it. Do it. All right. I have a vermin problem in my apartment. They are in my ceiling. They chew. They scratch. And it took me almost a year to get someone to believe me. And Whoa. It, when the exterminator or her husband, I can't remember which one, which one said, was like, are you sure it's not tree branches? I shit you fucking not that my exterminator said the exact same thing, thing to me. He was like, are you sure it's not tree branches? And I was just like, he kind of was like so derogatory and patronizing about the whole entire thing. I almost had an anxiety attack watching this wow. because I have been like fighting. I actually wrote a short story called My House is Full of Rats, which maybe I'll have Chris post on the blog later on this week. To like, It's my experience of oh, dealing. Wow. I was like... When he said, are you sure it's not tree branches? I was like, really? Is that what men just tell women when they, you know, like... Is it? Do I need to write that? I don't know. Is Maybe that, you I'm should write start. it down and be like, uh, and then next time you deal with a, a lady problem, just be like, are you sure it's not tree branches? <laughs> I was... So I thought this was incredibly... Like, I don't... It probably wasn't written by a woman, but I thought it was incredibly realistic to what I've been going through with my vermin problem. So I actually liked this okay, segment. Okay, so that, that was that's what I was going to ask. So, yeah. So you did... you Because you felt a personal connection to it, you did feel yeah. that... Almost inadvertently, it got at something. Yep, because everyone was being such a dick to her, and no one was believing her about the noises, and that's exactly what I went through. Like, Carlos believed me, yeah. but my landlords, my property manager, the exterminators. Oh, it awful. It was, so what yeah, point, it's been horrible. Uh, at what point did they, be, like, did they begin to believe you? When it? we set our own traps. 
We set our own traps and then started taking pictures and like sending them pictures of all of the dead rats that we were that Carlos was catching. This, so this is literally like the moment in the horror movie where no yeah. one believes you. Yep. Where you say, "I saw this thing mm-hmm. and it happened," and everybody tells you there's a logical explanation for this. Yeah. No, it's tree branches scratching on the ceiling, and I'm That's like, or on the roof. I was like, awesome. But it was so well, weird awesome that they said the here, exact but. same thing that my exterminator said, and I was just like, "Oh, you got to be fucking kidding me!" So I identified a lot with this last segment. Like I said, I wrote it the short story. I'll have Chris post it later on this week. And, um, yeah, and then you can just feel my pain. So, yeah, I identified with this. And so I thought the, the rat one wasn't as bad as everyone else thinks it was, maybe. Real I, life. Well, I Hashtag. felt... <laughs> I would I would say, having not lived through the rat thing, the rat thing was my least favorite. I, I didn't... But I found this movie to be mildly charming in its goofiness. Uh, I've seen this movie probably a few times. Um, it's not... A great movie by any metric. I it is a time capsule, though. Yeah, it's it's very much. If you kids, if you want to know what it's like to be alive in the eighties, this is what it's like. Is this movie? Uh, is pretty dopey. I like feel that. like my experience was better than this. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I, there was more roller skating, in right? <laughs> um, I I think that I felt like uh, uh, I found this to be mildly watchable in very much in a sort of passive way. My understanding is this was meant to be four episodes of a television show, mm-hmm. and it very much feels like an NBC TV show around the time of Amazing Stories. Uh, and um, I was uh, I, Russ and I, funny enough, Russ and I watched the first segment, did not see the ending coming with the attending. I, I have, to and say. Russ was like, "Whoa, whoa." Did, didn't see that coming. I really didn't. And, and I he, really didn't. Russ was kind of taken with that. He's like, well, it kind of paid off, like yeah. I feel. And um, and I, because uh, you definitely thought like, uh, this movie's been pretty predictable all the way through. And I, there's like one exchange in the gas station with the weird gas station attendant, that tall, weird dude, and he's like, I got my gun. And I, I liked I liked that moment. But, um, and I, I liked the so, idea. That was William Sanderson. Uh, who was famous for Blade Runner, Deadwood, True Blood. No, not that no, no, one. That, uh, the, one the one prior to that, yeah, the, the other before. guy who sells her the cigarettes. Oh. I can't remember. He's been in some other stuff. Lee Vang? No, it's, is it Lee Vang? I think that was her. Who is like. That's her husband. One of the most famous no, punk Anthony rockers of all time James. as well. Anthony James. Oh, is, is it? Oh, the store clerk? Okay, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Um. He's been, I love Wikipedia says specialized in playing creepy, sleazy, oily yeah, villains. You can picture yeah. Anthony James going, Yeah, yeah, okay, we they got it. <laughs> <laughs> creepy, sleazy, um, greasy. <laughs> but, but he excels at it. Um Obviously the second segment is the one we most remember from this. This sort of obsessiveness was like kids in the video games and they get sucked into video games and they can't get out. Uh it's pretty it's pretty dopey and broad. Um and uh I'm not sure that you would have guessed Emilio Estevez was going to have the career he has based solely on this performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but I, I liked it. I thought, like, it had this interesting structure where the first they go and he hustles the guys. Um, and I was like, this is an interesting idea that, that you, you reveal that this guy is this good video. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of a smart thing. But then it just devolves into a thing of, I don't want to play this video game until I beat it. And um, 
I wasn't sure whether Beat the Bishop was a direct reference to masturbation. Did it does kind of sound... Does anybody else... There's I, all, I a polishing that, yeah. the bishop is the term. Well, yeah, yeah, but let's be honest. Beat the Bishop really yeah. gets to that Sounds a like lot faster. It, it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I couldn't tell whether you know, the screenwriter had sort of slipped that in and be like, Beat, beat the Bishop, because... Um, it's it's really dopey. Uh, it, I mean, like it's 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 incredibly goofy segment um, with him like fighting these things. That being said, not not totally poorly done. The whole thing is very TV movieish. There's no great visuals in this movie. Uh, the Lance Henderson one had potential. It almost felt like a like a short story I would have read about you know the priest and he sort of loses his faith. Uh, the it being a direct dual ripoff was very bad TV in the eighties. Uh, Hendrickson's pretty good, though. Yeah, I mean, he's probably one of the stronger forces. By the way, uh, that's Principal Strickland doing the voice of the Bishop of Battle from Back to the Future. Is it really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, James Tolkien. Uh, did that guy ever have hair? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Right? Even as a digital character, he <laughs> yeah. doesn't have hair. Uh, all I did think was, um, at the uh, by the way, at the end of the... Remember the parents are all standing there with the kid with the glasses or whatever? And they see Estevez... In the uh, in the video game, sort of looking at them, and then he shrinks down. I, and I was like, they really don't cut to the reaction. And I thought, you, I probably with good reason because it was utterly horrific that you would think that your kid is trapped in some video game. Um, did anyone else feel the implication is that this happens to other people? They're now the person in the, like whoever had beat the bishop before. They're the person yeah, in the center. Yeah, when yeah. I, I had that game. feeling that it keeps, it keeps like happening. A, a cycle. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put too much thought on the mythology of this thing because I doubt <laughs> anyone else did who wrote it. You're going to uh, write a comic book series that oh continues God. the story. Yeah, I don't. Um, and then, the extended uh, universe of the Bishop of yeah. Battle. <laughs> and the fourth one is I that one really. That's where the air went out. Like I was kind of with it for the first two. Like I was like, these are fine. These are kind of goofy, feel like TV episodes. I was like. This is okay. It feels like I'm, I caught something, like, I was watching something, like, a syndicated show in the mornings on, like, you know, a day off from school or something. But that that last one with the rat was just, it went on and on. It didn't come together. I was like, uh, I don't have any personal experience with rats. Maybe that maybe that plays into it. Your house know. isn't full of rats, Rob. It is Rob. not full of rats, so I might have, <laughs> you know. Uh, but that being said, um, I don't really know. I, it's weird to me to think, like, do, would I recommend this movie to anybody? I would not. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe if you were on lots of... If you were just doing whippets constantly through the whole thing. I mean, thing. I wow. feel like yeah. for nostalgic wow. purposes, if you are, if you grew up in the 80s and you were a teenager or, you know... And you want to be glad the, the 80s, 80s are over. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, mean, it felt like this thing where, like, if you're a person kind of, like... If you're, like, a collector of, like, VHS movies and watch, uh, you know, and you watch, um, you, you like, you know, sort of stuff like Scanners and... And just the fact that it's like this kind of eightiesness to the movie, you'll like Killbots or something. You'll enjoy this. I don't know that I would recommend it to anybody else. You know, I, I don't know that I would recommend this to like our listeners or like horror fans. Yeah, I can't. I mean, really, this is a group watch movie for right. people who are drinking a bunch of beer and want to watch something that's really stupid, but pizza, are also prepared yeah. to talk over most of it. Yeah, because you're not going to miss much by talking over most of it. It's one of those movies. Do you think if we had watched this movie over pizza and some Oscar Blues, we would have had we would you would have enjoyed the movie and more? done a commentary? I think. No, I think it would have been about the same, but I might have enjoyed it. Our experience, my experience of watching it more because of hanging out with you guys, but the movie itself, no. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. Oh, uh, we haven't even gotten to Russia. Yeah. Jesus Christ! Sorry. Uh, it's been a lot of time, more time than I, anyone I has ever spent. I ranted about the rat. Sorry. I, it was actually pretty fast. It was. I apologize. It was great. Yeah. Um, 
Kudos. Uh, the, you know the first one that the Terrence Topanga, like like uh, Rob said, I you know I didn't see it coming. So you know, gotta give him props, man. Yeah. Um, but it did teach me a valuable lesson, which is guys, uh, smoking is bad for you because <laughs> you're gonna go want to get cigarettes and it's gonna lead to serial killers. Um, <laughs> was that the message? That was the message. Chris, Chris. Did you get that message. I um, did not get that message. Uh, right. Larry and his brother Gerald and his other brother Gerald <laughs> are gonna rescue, rescue you. Serial <laughs> killers. Uh, <laughs> the Bishop of Battle. All right, let's get into it. Um, first of all, hey, it's the kid from Parker Lewis Can't Lose and just one of the guys. Yeah. Billy, oh, Billy shit, Jane, I didn't know that. Who's his, his, his friend or whatever. He's the brother, yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe it's been too long since I've watched uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Uh, can I borrow your box set, Russ? Yes, you can. You can. You Thanks, can. I appreciate uh, it. Estevez looks 25 in this movie. He probably I know was. He's not, but he looks 25. Um, and he can't afford to play video games, so get a job, Deadbeat. That's all I have to say to get you to play video games. The pool shark of arcade um, games. I, I, I would patience on the uh, the, the oh so subtle stereotypes of the Latino gangbangers. Um, I also liked how they were running a video game betting ring, um, which was clearly a big inner city problem in the early 80s in Southern California. Um, also, remember the little pint sized gangster kid has heard of Emilio Estevez. Now, I don't know how he's heard about some other kid in the suburbs of Los Angeles who's also some amazing video game player. Uh, so that really didn't make sense. Oh, yeah. for, the, for the record, they actually did have video game magazines back then because I used to go pick them up at our local store, I, I get which it, were like about like the guys who beat the scores like a local and stuff. Legend thing, yeah. which didn't make any sense to me because they were clearly in downtown Los Angeles, uh-huh. which meant I'm going to guess Estevez lived in some fucking outskirts of mm-hmm. of there. I don't even know where that would be. He lived in, in the valley or something. Like yeah, and I don't know why yeah. this kid would have heard of him. Dude, or whatever. Don't, go get a job he's, as a repo man and learn that earn money, good, bro. And I get it. The '80s were boring, so maybe he did. Um, weren't that boring. Uh, also, I love that it was this total like sort of mesh of like everything that adults thought '80s kids did. It's like <laughs> it's like. Headphones and 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 you know and malls and and video games. See, that's what the kids like. Let's make a movie with See, that. It almost feels like if Stranger Things made like it's that the, now with like a sort of this is what people thought the eighties were like. But it was in the eighties. <laughs> but in right, the eighties, yeah. Um, also, uh, uh, when he goes to play the video game at his local video game uh, uh, arcade. They pull the one kid off the video game so that he can play the video yeah. game, which I thought was totally fucking uncool. <laughs> um, and then yeah, they pick him up and totally, physically totally move bogus, him. Man, he paid good money to play that video game. It was unradical. Um, it was, it was totally unradical. <laughs> uh, uh, the dad is Emilio's dad. He could have been more of a cliche. He's got like the name tag thing. Yeah. And he's like watching TV and he's got a beer, which I'm sure is an Oscar Blues beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> that, that, seems unlikely that and, you know, he's yelling at the kid. Uh, also, I want to make real clear. This video game sucks. It's not like a cool video game. It doesn't even really make sense. I couldn't figure out how the technique worked of it. Yeah, and, and the visuals weren't very good. Like, I was like, no, there were better looking video games It had like a that Tempest controller, but also a joystick. Also, and also a gun. Yeah, thing, and I was right? like, what, what's uh, going on there? How does that work? I, you... you know, you got to think the Tron video game was out at this point, And mm-hmm. I'd rather play the Tron video game than yeah. this fucking video game. Um, 
Oh, this is our criticism. Also, the video game mechanics seemed unrealistic. But it was like, it it be be like I so felt like there wouldn't be a been. better looking video game. Uh, that's what I'm saying. It's clearly made by people who didn't play video games. Uh, also, um, the video game blows up. And they're like, and, and then reconstitutes. Like, what? Whatever. Like I put. Well, at least everything else fucked up, dude. That's the money shot of the film. Where they're like, we're gonna film this, and then we're gonna play it backwards, <laughs> right? And but not only that, but it, it, that reconstitutes itself. But it, the rest of the place is still fucked up. Yeah. Also, the other levels he played look harder than the uh, first level, that, or the final level that he played the in the thirteenth level. Yeah, thirteenth level. Uh, look, I just want to say that if it sounds like I'm beating up on this segment, I am. I am beating up on this segment. It wasn't very good. Uh, the Benediction was not particularly good. It had a dopey premise. It had the car that barely seemed thematic. I, I really, it just sort of, anyways, less said about it, the better. Uh, the rat thing um, is more interesting in light of Patience's great story. Indeed. Thank I, you. Actually, I appreciate I actually that. really... Uh, like Patience's story a million times better than uh, this terrible segment of this movie. Your own personal horror story has made this podcast. Yeah. Thank you, I appreciate it was, that. It was, I mean, this was it was it's basically on the level of like a bad like like after school special. Uh, there's a really great um, uh, rat movie from the '80s called Of Unknown Order. Yes, we that's that. what I was trying to remember. I Thank hope you review that. Peter Weller's in it. And it's a good and movie. So, yeah. uh, George Costam or George Costamos, Panos Costamos' son. What? Her father directed that. The guy yeah. directed First Blood and Oh, okay. Oh, yes. oh, okay. So uh, uh, watch that instead. But anyway, Sharon Tate or, or Ben uh, Shannon Tweet. Or was it Ben or Willard? I can't remember which one is first. Wait, was this uh, Willard? Because Ben's the sequel, right? No, yeah. it's Ben. I can't remember which one. Michael first. Jackson sings Ben, right? Ben. I think yeah, but 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 Ben is the name of the rat that's in both films anyway. So I think it's Willard then. I can't remember, but yeah, whichever one's the first Wait, one, one they is worth watching. With Crispin Glover. That the one that it is. That's I can't Willard. Remember. Willard's the first. Willard. Willard's the first one. Yeah. Ben's the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. Willard is worth watching. Oh wow! Yeah. All right, I, I, I've said enough about nightmares. Let's let's uh, real quick, real quick, your favorite nightmare segment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's it's uh, Bishop of Battle. If only that I laughed most. Thoroughly. I'm gonna have to agree. <laughs> I think that one was at least entertaining. The rest of them are pretty. Garbage, oh, wow. banal. Right. Yes. I would agree with you guys that as much as I went off on Bishop of Battle, uh, it, it was sort of the most watchable. It was more what you wanted from Nightmares. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Rob, Rob. I'm, 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 I'm perplexed because I have to say the first one actually functions as like a kind of a good sh- short story. True enough. So, I but the go- oh, but the oldest. Horror short story ever. I didn't see it coming. Like, yeah, Rob, I, I said we did not see. I did not see it coming. Really? I was mildly, I was mildly intrigued. But although you know, and it, it, it moved along. Whatever they, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Okay, yeah, but probably Bishop of Battle is the most. You know what? Yeah, yeah. 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 Sure, Rob, fun, but join the one, us. Your own man. The one that's probably the best. Short film. I did. <laughs> I, can, can we just take a minute to say? Um, uh, I think with all three of these. Uh, only one director directs all of the segments, yeah. which is, I Joseph think, starting Sardin. to be not the way we do anthologies no. in movies. Now we think of anthologies as a group of directors get together and they make, uh, uh, you know, uh, each one could it was. It's story. very different that, that that used to be the case more, where it was like one director made this, and now it's like, that's never the case. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess maybe I'm just saying that in light of Joseph Sargent directing this, who... 
I think the guy just must have liked to work because I mean, he, well, it was made for TV, for, right? Uh, for, it, to you be know, fair. I think his his career is all over the map. He's just been direct. He's directed some great stuff. He's directed some terrible stuff. I can't say I felt like he brought really anything to this. He seemed to just be a person who was like a traffic cop. Yeah. And to build on what you're saying, um, we actually only watched one anthology that had multiple directors, which is our next one, which is Tales or Twilight Zone, the movie. Right. Um, kind of interesting. Every wow, other anthology true. only had one director. I didn't right. even think about it. You're yeah. right. I, I was thinking, yeah, that's what I was saying is like, it's kind of interesting that that's, that, that that's, ended up that's being sort of the case. Way, yeah. And I, I don't, I, I wonder, I wondered how you guys kind of felt about that idea that, one director does an anthology. Because I think I remember Phil one time sort of pointed something out. I think it was, what's that terrible? Dark Tapes. He was like, oh, Mr. Oh, God, anthology Director just terrible. directed all these himself. And I thought, is there a value to one director directing the entire uh, movie? Um, or is it is it more neato to kind of have multiple stylists directing your individual stories? I mean, it would be... It would be interesting to see, like, a big budget, really highly conceived of, let's take some, let's go through what, the last 10 years of horror short stories, award-winning short stories, and adapt them and get a truly great filmmaker to do it. But, I, I, mean, I would in be a interested sense, in, in that. In a sense. I would be almost more interested in that version of things than, get, let's get a different so, director. So let me watch. just make the argument, though. Uh, I've watched all of Fear Itself and all of Masters of Horror which is uh, an anthology television show where mm-hmm. multiple directors did it. And they're not... Most of them are just okay. They're not great. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and they're directed by some Dario Argento, you know, John Carpenter. John Landis. Like, yes. Yeah, I actually director. really like Cigarette Burns. I know people are skeptical about it. I, like I really burns. like Cigarette Burns a lot. I like it. Interesting. Yeah. We, did, we didn't ever get to talk about those on our John Carpenter. We, we briefly talked about we it. That was the only one that I liked. Yeah. The other one was not as great. I, even that I didn't hate. But the other uh, the one by Carpenter that yeah, he yeah. did for Pro Master Life. of Horror. Yeah. yeah, I actually liked it, but it's nowhere near as good as Cigarette Burns, which is super yeah. fun. Uh, the premise of Cigarette Burns is pretty rad, but the, the, it's okay. But um, but I just wondered. Uh, I guess we can talk about more after we talk about Twilight Zone. If we think that, and maybe at the end, if we should come back to that question, is there a value in multiple directors doing it? Do we think that? Do we think that something like Nightmares would be better if different directors had different, done different segments? Yeah. Well, anything would have been better than what we got. Well, <laughs> so. and also I don't know if Twilight Zone is a fair comparison because Twilight Zone is like the you know the. Oh, of directors, you have Spielberg, we have La- you know, we but have Landis, so. we have Dante, we have Miller. I mean, yeah. But that being said, we're not going to talk about that movie until our next episode next right. week when we issue part two, which will this is only a two part for the anthologies of our Deliberate and Doom which anthology. Which is very episodes. ironic. It yeah. seems like we should have multiple. We should have four, right? We should have had four, <laughs> we should have, we four should, segments. Each episode should be a movie. No. Each episode should be one of us. Yeah. What's the framing device? <laughs> <laughs> Shotless. Indeed. Shotless. What, what happened? Do you go like, and you were all dead the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, Shotless. I should have known. You had a cloak on the whole time. <laughs> 